0: Today's scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 8, 18 through chapter 4, verses 1. Um, so that's Colossians chapter 18, or sorry, chapter 3, verses 18 through 4, verse 1, and that is on page 984 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands. for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hey, good morning. I'm Orion Barrage, one of the pastors. Thank you for being here. I, I realize there is a Chiefs game. There's a ton of uh, grace for that. And uh, I know you're going to be checking this, the score, um, but this is, uh, this is a really substantial and important passage in the book of Colossians as we've been teaching through this book. And so I hope that you could, like, see God's word this morning without me having to convince you of that, that, like, it's far more important than anything Pat and Travis do. Today amen like it's far more important, and these things um, these things are not like um, like for the people who don't get Christianity like so if you're tempted this morning as a husband or a wife or a, a father or a child like you if you're tempted to think about the other person, like the people that, that are um, doing evil and disobeying God, like I just want to like catch you right now and just be like, this is for you. If you fall into this category, and by the end of it, even if you're not married or have children, he says, get rid of it. Um, even if you're not married or have children, and like you're single and you live in a home by yourself or with some friends, like this is for you too, because by the time we get to the end of it, you'll see the basis for all Christian ethics and all Christian behavior. And so it's, it's far reaching. And the rules that we are faced with today um, are actually all around us. There there are rules all around us this morning, and you are a bunch of rule keepers, some of you, and some of you are rule breakers, right? Like, it just seems like there's kind of two different people, Um, rule keepers, the type of person that just really enjoys to keep a rule, right? Like, you see a set of rules, and you're like, yeah, I'm doing all of those, and you usually are the type of person, same person, who likes to make sure others are keeping rules two. So, um, you know, spouses driving together, the, the eyebrows raised when the speedometer goes above the speed limit, that's, that's, that's a normal thing. Uh, in my car uh, on trips, I'll get, let you guess who's the rule keeper and who's the rule breaker. Um, um, I do admire rule keepers. I, I wish um, that I were more of one. Um, <laughs> um, and, and I'm not necessarily, I think there's a lot of people that are like me, they're not necessarily rule breakers, but like we like to stretch the rules and really investigate um, all, the, all, the, all the loopholes. And just so we're clear, I'm not talking about like biblical sin, or like breaking those things. I'm more talking about game night when the, the, the writers of a board game don't know how to write rules. It's not my fault that there's a loophole in the rule. It's not my fault. Um, and, and yet, biblically speaking, we're all rule breakers. We're all rule breakers, every one of us. And we sit together under the mercy and the grace of God this morning. So we, because of the mercy and love of God, like his grace has abounded. That's why Jesus came, because you're all rule breakers, no matter how you identified as I talked through it. And, and that's where we sit, under receiving some rules and things. And I think the part of the reason that we have this weird relationship with rules, at least for me, is that I, I observe the world, and no matter what institution, where I go, I see a set of rules, and I see some rules that are nonsensical. They don't make sense, no matter how many times somebody explains it to you. Or they just, some of them are dumb. They're just dumb rules, and we have this relationship with our respect to rules and, and laws, really. They're just some that are head scratchers. So here's here's some rules that I found that exist today in the world. These are legitimate laws still on the books. In England, it is illegal for you to hold a salmon suspiciously. I don't know what that's for. If if you're in Florida on a Thursday night past 6 p.m., it is illegal for you to pass gas in public. Like why at 6 p.m.? What happens? on Thursdays in Florida. Um, in Turin, Italy, you must walk your dog three times a day. Three times a day, you must walk, that's a law. In Scotland, if anyone knocks on your door and asks to use the toilet, by law, you have to let them come in and do it. Like, that's, that's not good. That's bit me too many times, too many times. Also, will never understand why there can be offsides in soccer when there's no line of scrimmage. Like, I just don't understand that. No, we want less scoring in this game. Like, that's, in a case like you're wondering like why the world's so crazy, here's a few that are just still on the books in Missouri. It's illegal to drive with an uncaged bear. I'm glad they thought of that. You cannot stress out a squirrel. I needed to know that. I actually shot a TikTok this week with a squirrel, and I don't know if I broke the law or not. Probably should take that down. In Kansas City, if you have a a, a bathtub with claw feet, it cannot resemble the, the feet of any kind of an animal. That's still a law today. And my favorite is that you cannot smoke a pipe through your ear. That's that's the law in Missouri, which leads me to go, one, I didn't know that was possible. Two, what happens if you do? (laughs) Right? Like, what happens? Not all laws are this way. Some do make sense. But there's so many laws. In fact, I don't know if you understand this, but currently, right now, as we all sit in this room, you sit under 90,000 federal laws. I hope you're keeping them all right now. 90,000. There are 40,000 state laws that pertain to our existence in this room today. There are 2,000 laws, municipal codes in the city of Independence that, that pertain to us. We sit under all of those laws and untold other rules at your bank and at your gym. There's rules for this building. There's like Our whole existence is lived under hundreds of thousands of laws and rules. Many of which we probably blindly are breaking, you know, because we don't even know about them. But that's the reality. And maybe some of you, like, have a homeowners association that pertain to your home. Or you've made laws, you've made your own rules in your own home. Because part of what rules and laws are doing is they're trying to push back darkness and evil and provide a space for life to thrive a certain kind of life that's based on your values and your ethics or our collective values and our collective ethics. And this book and this passage was written to a people at a time under Roman law and Roman authority who had all those types of such laws. And and how they lived is they decided, hey, we need to make our own family laws, we need to make our own rules because their ethics and their idea of what a house was was that the, there was husbands, there was wives in the average home, there was a bunch of children, and you would live there with three plus generations of your family members. It'd be pretty big. There'd be bond servants that lived in the average home here. Bond servants and aunts and uncles and grandparents. Everybody lived together. That's kind of how it worked. Or you lived adjacent. And, you're, and, and, and what you tried to do is not just survive. The ethics of the time where we have to become, not just survive properly, but we have to become a legacy. Like in order to survive in future generations, we have to build wealth and valor and legacy and respect and integrity. And, like, and so they created all these house rules. And that's what this, this word is being spoken into. Rules about how husbands and fathers and stuff act, that's what it's being spoken into is, is sort of a pagan understanding of this as they're pursuing excellence and legacy and fame. And everyone's job in that home is to make the father as famous as possible. So, so, so the, the, the wife's job is, is to do everything in her life to make much of her husband. And the children's job is to make much of their father and, and to prop him up as much as they can in the bond servants. That's, that's the whole ethic of this environment that this is being written into. It's, it's that deeply sort of patriotic, like our patriarchal system where it's, it's the dad, it's the father who's glorified, and everyone's job in the family is to make much of, of the father of the home, the man of the home. And so Paul writes into that environment, and this letter, as you're going to see in the next few weeks, travels to that church and is read amongst all of those people in that context. That's the most important thing you could probably know about context in this passage. So households were like businesses. They ran to make the man wealthy and famous. Today, we're going to see how the gospel impacts that. We're gonna see how every Christian's life, their new life in Christ means that all of their relationships are reoriented and redeemed through Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to see today. So let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for, even in the reading of the passage, just how dripping, um, like, like just oozing out of the passage is Christology is the preeminence of Christ over and over and over again. We just feel um, the drumbeat of Jesus and the gospel in it. And Lord, even as, as we've read the passage and we began, it's like I realize like that many relationships in, in this world have not been experienced in the in the way that, that you you talk about these relationships and your plan for them. And there's pain and there's frustration in that. And there's years of like cultural patterns that, that exist, just like the church in, in, in Colossae, that, that exist in us. Things that we've learned from our dad and things that we've learned from our mom. And so I don't even pretend to know how to address all of that in one sermon. So I ask you, holy, holy God, healer of broken hearts and redeemer of lost things, counselor of souls, would you minister to your people through your word? Even as... We hear your design and your rules for our lives and our relationships. Make it clear to us that it's the fleshly pursuit of all of these things that lead to brokenness and give us a clear picture of how we can move forward in repentance and how we can move forward in spiritual renewal in this season. And may everything I say glorify you. My God, we love you. and in your precious name, Jesus, we pray, amen. So, real quick, if you if you have a Bible in your turn with me, just look back real quick at verse seventeen, if you would, um, because like uh, we didn't read it, but like in order to to to, to kind of understand this, this this repeated phrases there. So last week we left off. It says, and whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God, the Father, through Him." So whatever. You do. That's a repeated phrase. And so the reason that's important is because it gets repeated again this morning in verse 23. And so it's not just a phrase that gives us the scope, but it, it kind of like it helps us understand um, like, like, like what God's doing here is he's, is he's saying the gospel in Jesus is preeminent, He's above everything in your life. He's before everything in your life. He's, that's, that's the sort of message that we get every week, is that Jesus is preeminent. He's above and before everything in our life. And so our relationships, not just what we do, whatever we do in word and in deed, but, but even the relationships to which we do them, Christ is preeminent. So that's the sort of thing that we want to grab a hold of. It's the umbrella over today's passage and Abraham Kuyper famously quoted, speaking to this reality, said this, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. In every relationship that you have, in every role that you play in this world, Christ, who is Lord of all, declares, Mine. Over them. So that's those are the bookends for us this morning. It goes on to say in verse eighteen, "This wives submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants obey." In everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers do, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So, Let's deal with the commands. Let's deal with the commands that God's laid down in here and the rules and like what he's saying. And let's just take those on, okay? Like we don't have to not like the passage or be afraid of the passage. Like it's God's word. God loves you. He loves me. And let's take on what he is saying to wives. He addresses them first. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Paul, under the inspiration of God, is communicating God's design and it means that the wife is actively supposed to look to the leadership of her husband in the home that's what it means very simply to look to the leadership of her husband in the home and that was probably at the time it was being read just sort of met with amens none of you are dumb enough to do that here today but I, at the time i imagine it's being read in the church and guys are like yeah you know wives are in the back children you know, like, and, and I imagine that that was the case, um, that it was read in this church or or many churches at the time. But I want you to realize a couple of important things: that that just because people take what this means and 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 make it into something else, doesn't remove the clear calling of looking to your husband for the leadership in the home. It doesn't it doesn't remove that just because. God's design is a certain way, and men have distorted that and used it for their own gain and selfishness, it doesn't remove the calling there to us. And and two, I think that to to, to sort of be like real with you right now is like, I get like, it's, it's it's hard, I think wives are, are are addressed first because it's like no man can lead a wife who doesn't actually want to be led. And and secondly, when men don't understand leadership in the Christian home, when men don't understand it, men make it impossible for their wives to, 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 to follow them. No one can follow an aimless and unserious leader. Like no one can follow that. And so, so part of it is like, it's so difficult um, if, if men have not grown up to embrace what servant leadership looks like, it, it just makes it impossible for women to follow them. And, and, and so there's, there's, there, there's something that's, that we're caught because like a lot of marriages are like, which, is, which one came first, the chicken or the egg? Was the man not followable or did the wife not want to follow? Which one came first, Right. But none of that, none of those realities remove the clear and the simple call. So husbands, be followable. Be followable. Here's what Ephesians 5 says. It's a little bit clearer. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Like nowhere in these passages does it, does it say, hey, if your husband's a great leader, you could submit to him. Right? Like it doesn't say that. Like and vice versa, if your wife is, does X, Y, Z, right? Like it doesn't, there's no qualifiers. In fact, it, we have to wrestle with what it means when it says everything. So that's what it says to wives. Here's what it says to husbands. It says, love your wives. Like, don't be harsh. Like, love your wives. It's, it's kind of interesting that we actually need that to be in, in God's word. Like, that's doesn't every husband love his wife? Like, I bet you that there's not, you know, like, unless there's just mounds and piles of, of, of and years of sort of stuff there that, like, most men are like, hey, I love my wife. Like, I love my wife. I love her. The Bible, though, talks about Christian love in a way that's like, man, I, I sometimes have a hard time, re- you know, like possessing that love. In reality, listen, listen to what it says about love. Love's patient. It's kind. It, it does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. The, the kind of love that we're supposed to love with our, our wives with is a love that always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. That's that's Christian love. Not not just like an affirming emotion toward my wife's general existence, right? Like it's Christian love. And so, so we're so reactive to the idea of submission maybe in that first part, but then you'd like start to look at the biblical definition of love and you're like, well, the husband's supposed to trust his wife. He has to persevere and not give up on when things are not going well. He has to hold to the truth and not allow lies about his marriage in. And he has to surround his wife with um, this physical, emotional, and spiritual protection. He has to find ways, even when it's tremendously difficult, to be kind and to be patient the way that the wife is to look to her husband the husband is called to reorient his life back looking at his wife like that's that's the reality that we that we can see in this passage that his strength that his resources that his attention that his emotions that his desires that all of his gifts go towards his wife's good like that's That looks to me like Christ. That's that's what's the calling here, men. That's what the calling is for you. Listen to how Ephesians 5 talks about it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. What a gift it is from God to be able to participate in God's work in the life of your wife. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. But listen, I think this word is so important. But nourishes, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, what I think is really interesting is that just before that passage in Ephesians 5, Paul tells the church in Ephesus that we're supposed to submit one to another. Like, we're all supposed to submit one to another. Like, that's the the reality. But you have to realize there's a way in which we submit to each other that's based on our relationships. So the Christian ethic is humility and submitting one to another. And there's a way in which we do that with each other, and that's how husbands and wives are called to reorient their home and their lives to one another. And it's impossible without God's spirit, but there is a, 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 a living reality in God's spirit where, where it is possible. So now it says to children, so there's not a lot of children in here, but like Um, You know, we've got a few. And and, and like, I think this is just so good for parents and future parents to hear. What's said to children? It says, obey your parents, obey your parents. It's actually one of the most self-serving rules in scripture, obey your parents. Children should obey their parents because the world is too dangerous a place to survive without a parent, that's why. I remember my dad taking me when I was in kindergarten. I remember my dad taking me to the highway out by our house and walking up to that highway and, and teaching me to cross a highway. That may seem preposterous to you now, but that's how people did things in the 70s. Um, and and he, he's like, hey, here's how you gauge that. And before I got to put my foot off of that curb into the street, he told me the number one most important thing in that moment was, hey, no matter what you see or experience, on that highway, you obey my words. He, he, what he was teaching me in that moment is, you're gonna get out there and you're gonna see cars and you're gonna have experiences that you've never had before. And, and you're gonna think, I can trust those experiences and I can trust how I feel and how I think and the speed of that car. But, but what he's saying is that, that, that my father, that my dad has experiences and wisdom that far exceed my personal experience. And that if he says stop or come back or run across, it's the most self-serving thing I can do to obey it. It's the most self-serving thing I can do. And that's, that's what's being said here is like there's a wisdom that comes with parents. There's a grace and there's a blessing that comes to parents that like children just to survive the world. And, and to walk a little bit away from the pain that that this world offers should obey their parents. Here's what it says in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. That's never gonna motivate children, right? It's the right thing to do, you know, like, oh, I... Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, listen, things will go well for you And you will have a long life on the earth. That's why. And parents, that's why you're training and teaching. You're not teaching kids to obey you because you're a taskmaster. You're you're teaching them to obey you because you love them. And there's a promise that comes with it. So when we don't teach our children to obey us, what happens? They don't get the promise. We're cutting them off from the promise. And so... We teach kids to obey. That's what's said to children in a church where children are unseen, not supposed to talk. That's the reality of that moment as it's read. And then to fathers, do not provoke your children. Imagine children hearing the word of God to fathers to say, don't provoke your children. Fathers uniquely experience the disobedience of their children because often fathers are the enforcer's of their home, and so when a child disobeys a father, the father feels this unique responsibility to fix it, you know, um, and and so historically, men have struggled, like struggled with anger and struggled with, you know, biologically, emotionally, with with those types of things in a position and a role. It's just a reality. It makes men more prone, I think, to discipline harshly, and so I just picture God the Father just picture God the father with me looking at fathers this morning and saying there's a type of discipline that's not for the child you're doing it for you it's a type of discipline that's it's actually not to serve and love the child you're doing it for you so don't provoke your children don't be selfish don't smack a disobedient children, child without a conversation about their disobedience because that's only about you. That's only about you. They have inconvenienced you, and you're making them pay for that, that inconvenience. That's not understanding and, and getting down and telling your child, hey, here is what you have done. Here, you've lost your opportunity to correct this, and here is the discipline that comes with that. Never discipline a child without a conversation. Don't do it. I think about fatherhood and how, how are you supposed to give them faith in, in a father in heaven that loves them? If the father on earth that they have is harsh and controlling and heaps judgment and punishment, do you realize how hard it is to disconnect our experience from that. Many men spend most of their lives trying to remove that father wound. How are they supposed to feel both the depths of their sin and the unconditional love of the father if we do not obtain and and, and perform and do that ministry through the Spirit's work to children? And so, so, so in this church, God looks at the fathers of this first century church and he speaks to them about how they parent and how they father. And then he turns and says to the bondservants, obey with sincerity of heart. Obey with sincerity of heart. Now bondservants in this culture looked a lot different than slavery in our country and and it was not ethnic in any way there's not an ethnic nature to it in fact we there's many 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 cases of african people um, having bond servants that were why every single ethnicity enslaved bond servants of different ethnicities so it wasn't it didn't it wasn't connected to that reality that our country has experienced it's completely different. The existence of bond servants was primarily due to two reasons. One, military conquest. So if if, if if a country took over another country, generally the population was all killed so that there couldn't be an uprising or they were taken into slavery. It was the way that they weren't killed. So you would want to go into that. Um, and then secondly, um, just extreme poverty. There's there's all kinds of situations. There's no social services in this day. And so if you find yourself without a way to provide for yourself, then you attach yourself to a family that you can serve and, and, then, and then be provided for. And so those were the reasons. And every home or most homes, um, just like they were full of kids and aunts and uncles and stuff, had bond servants and sometimes multiple bond servants. And so Christianity is formed in, in that place where it wasn't seen necessarily as oppression, although that definitely did exist, um, but, but it's formed in that place, that, that time. And, 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 and it's said that most homes had bond servants and the way we should think about that um, reality is like fossil fuels and electricity run our society like the, 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 the work and the labor and the convenience. And it's, it's just the same as if I said, hey, hey, here's Jesus. Everybody can no longer use fossil fuels or electricity. And so, so it, this is where this, this command is spoken into. And it, it, you don't, don't really have to like love that. I don't feel like I'm like trying to say, well, it wasn't that bad. Because hundreds of years later, It would be the Christian who would say, we should give our life to put an end to all forms of slavery, right? So we're not not making um, excuses for that, but I, I want you to know the reality in the room that this letter was read into. No matter what you think of that, those moments and what the reality was, Paul spoke to the bondservant in the room, Paul has no power to remove that servanthood, he has, but he does have a way to speak God's word to their heart, to their existence, to their lived reality in that moment, God's heart and God's design for their life and their work. And I want you just to imagine that room full of people and all the men are sitting there and, and, and the pastor's up reading this letter. And, and, and the women and children are in the bag and the bondservants are like in the shadows, right? Like no one has ever acknowledged their existence before in public. And Paul says to the bondservant, like it, it is one thing for him to talk about the wives and the children, but just the acknowledgement of the bondservants in this place just shot a, cl- a counter-cultural dart through the room. Just just the fact that they were seen for the first time in their existence in a public place, let alone a religious place. Paul speaks to them. That's to say, the God of all creation knows you and loves you, sees your existence and has words for you. And he says in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer, and this promise is awesome if you're a bondservant, and it's a warning if you're a master, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So he turns to the master's he turns to the ones that, 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 that are over those bondservants as he just speaks and gives them intrinsic value. And, like, and he says this to the masters. He says, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also serve a master in heaven. Well, why do you need to treat them justly and fairly? Like Paul's, Paul's providing the basis for which all slavery should end because you only treat justly and fairly those who are made in the image of God. So he provides the basic of the Christian ethic that centuries later start to destroy and tear down that institution. It's the basis of the fight to eradicate slavery, justice, fairness. Like he that's what he turns to them and says, this, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. Now, I want you to see something amongst those all those commands and those rules. Hopefully, you found yourself somewhere in there, and there's some of you like, I don't fit neatly in any of those roles. But I want you to see something that in every command that God gave them something. And it's, it's how we, like, reorient relationships, right? Like, because I've I pretty much ignored it, and maybe you don't like me for that right now, but... Let's, let's read this again together. Wives, submit to your husbands. Why? As fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of service, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You see? You see the pattern that exists in the command. Like, you're not doing it for them. You're not doing it because they deserve it. You're, you're not doing it for any other reason but for the Lord. That, that's what we see over and over again in these passages and in Ephesians, is that there's, there's a doing it for Christ. See, before that reality, there was the man of the house, and his relationship with everyone was, I have a relationship with you, you serve me in your existence, in your role. And the person's relationship in their home, their wife, their child, their relationship was, I serve you, man of the house, I glorify you. What has happened here that is so countercultural is that Jesus moves in between every relationship that we have. That Jesus himself, the person and the work of Christ, the good news of the gospel and every promise of God fulfilled moves into the center of that relationship. And now I'm not just someone's father, but I am the servant of of my Lord. And he tells me how to, to behave and to act with that relationship and vice versa. Every wife no longer just serves her husband. She serves the Lord and the Lord tells her how she should behave and react. And so this is what's so wildly reorienting in that moment and in this moment is that you have to put Jesus in between every relationship you have or you have no hope of glorifying God in it. No hope. You actually have no hope of actually being able to do any of these commands if Jesus doesn't get into the center. He's preeminent. He's above all things and before all things. There's nothing in this universe that he doesn't say mine. And that's certainly true about the Christian home. And, and part of what we're doing is God's over here in our life and we're here with all of our messed up relationships and we're like trying to like pull from God and apply it. That's not Christianity. Pro- proper Christian formation is that Jesus is at the center of everything and the gospel is our only hope. It's our only hope. That's, that's Christian formation. And so Jesus in this passage becomes the countercultural drumbeat that reorients all relationships in that room. I imagine people like staggered out of that space going, I don't know how to live. All of our rules were there to serve me. Or maybe some people left and was like, all of my life was to glorify this guy who doesn't deserve it. And now they live; they leave with a different ethic. The only way to be obedient is for wives to submit to husbands and husbands to love their wives and children to obey their um, parents and fathers to, to love their children and bond servants to work and masters to, to, to treat them well as unto the Lord. As a Christian, Jesus steps in between every human relationship of ours and reorients it to God's glory. In closing, I wanna just share a couple things with you. It's like, it is that simple. It's actually that simple. It's really hard, and relationships are complicated. There's all this history. But like, what we like to do is try to take all the confusing stuff and throw it onto the clear stuff. It's simple. It's actually clear. It's simple. God's word's simple. It's clear. That's... That's one thing I want to say. But despite its simplicity, you need God's help. <laughs> no epiphany, no revelation, a way that I said it, none of that will win the day. You need God's help. You, there is only the transforming power of the gospel of God to achieve this. And the, and the sort of like Rubik's Cube of Christianity is God's word, prayer. Christian fellowship, right? Like that's, that's how we, that's the formula. God's word. What's it say? Let me bathe my mind. Let it be conformed in there. Let me pray. Let me ask for God's help. Let me reorient my life to a conversation with him that he's already, you know, established with me. And let me, let me get help. Let me get help. Let me get brothers and sisters to help figure this thing out. What do you think that means? How am I living? What do you see? None of this um, gives a pass to any kind of abuse or, 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 or sort of like harshness or any like over application of this. Like if, if you're experiencing darkness and abuse and those things, you have to get help. This isn't to gloss over that. Physical, emotional, spiritual abuse. Like you need Christian fellowship. You have to get help. And we fail at every one of these Like a bunch of you probably broken those 150,000 rules just sitting here this morning. You've probably broken some of those rules already, especially you guys using the Wi Fi right now. But God's rich in mercy. He allows us to repent. He actually enables us to repent. Like, I can't repent. God, help me to repent. God helps you even to do that. He's faithful to forgive. And then, like, 2 Corinthians starts to come into, into view. Chapter 3, verse 18, that we with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord through the Spirit. Like that's, that's what we're hoping when Jesus put, gets in the center, when we see the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ who died and who was resurrected That resurrection power is for your relationships. And it's for every relationship. So if you don't have those relationships, this reorientation is for every relationship that you have and ever will have. Ever will have. When the Pharisee questioned Jesus, what is the most important commandment of the law? What's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? He said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And when you put God at the center, and you shall love others as yourself. So you sit under the weight of 150,000 laws this morning. There are 613 commands in the Old Testament. There's over 1,000 in the New Testament. But Jesus says all of that comes down to this. Put put me at the center of your life. Love me more than anything, more than your own glory, more than your own legacy. Build your glory and your legacy in mine. And did you know there are 7,464 promises in all of Scripture, far more than there are commands? And that is how we access those promises into those relationships. God doesn't command us to do things because he's some sort of killjoy that just likes rules. He does it to give us access to all of the promises that that come through who he is and our union with him. That's how we access them and that's how we unleash them in the people that we love and the people that we lead and the people that we serve. So it doesn't matter the relationship, God's plan is perfect in Christ and His plan delivers all of His promises. Amen. That's good news. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you um, for those things. Like, I think you like, like we don't just have to sit here and 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 choke down this morning rules that are bitter and dry and undigestible, Lord. I think I thank you that we don't have to do that this morning. Lord, I think that, I thank you that your, your rules and the things that you call us to are because of your great love for us. And so help us to receive that this morning, even as we come to the table and take a piece of the bread and dip it into the juice. Help us to receive your broken body and your shed blood as the forgiveness of our sins. Help us to identify with your calling this morning, no matter our relationship. Yeah, we pray for that. Help, help us have courage to take communion this morning, to, to stop by and receive prayer for areas that we struggle with. Help us to do that too, we pray. In Jesus' name.